Well, let's just jump right in and like get started so you don't have time to be nervous or any of the things that we were just talking about. So hello and welcome to Under the Brim, where we talk about all things mindset and motivation of the athlete under the brim. In this episode, we are going to be talking to a rodeo athlete and a traditional sports athlete, and we are going to ask them to compare their preparation, training, competition, and performance of their sports, find out what's going on in their minds as they prepare, as they compete, and how they get over the wins and losses. Find out if there's any differences or similarities between a rodeo athlete, and today we have a softball player with us, and want to find out what's going on in their minds. Um, so let's get to it today. I have two ladies in the studio with me this morning. I'm excited to have you both here. Um, let's get started and let you introduce yourselves. So why don't you go first? All right. Well, I'm Laura Fairchild, and uh, I'm a, this is my first year here at Sol Ross on the rodeo team, and I'm, I run barrels. Um, I came from Iowa, uh, so it's a little, little ways. Um, so yeah, I'm just getting started here, and it's been fun so far. So Awesome. Yeah. So your first year at Sol Ross, did you compete anywhere else before here, or were you, is this your first year in college? This is my first year in college. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm a freshman. Uh, in high school, I did rodeo, I did high school rodeo all four years of high school, and a couple of years in junior high as well, so. Okay. Yeah, what made Iowa. you make the big move from Iowa, way out here in West Texas, Alpine, and Sol Ross State University? Well, you see, uh, my, uh. <laughs> you see what happened was. Junior year of high school, I made it to nationals, and. Uh, high school rodeo nationals that was in lincoln nebraska so it's about an hour and a half from my place but uh, parked right next to me with these texas people and uh i i met them and they're really nice people we became really good friends with them and i mean i ended up dating their son but that was beside the point so i may have followed a boy here but uh may or may not have. i love it here a lot i really do i knew i wanted to leave iowa and and i i think i made a good choice so Okay, so two things instantly pop up is number one, I think that I was at nationals the same year that you were there. My son um, is Cinch Moody. He's a calf roper and team roper um, competitor from Texas and made it to nationals, I think the same year. Hmm. Um, You were a junior that year? Yes. Yeah, so my son would have been a senior. So yeah, I believe that was the same year. Cool. Um, so we would have been probably parked in the same area because they, if you, for those that don't are familiar with rodeo and high school rodeo, um, you have to qualify in your state. Um, so you have to be one of the top competitors in your state, and then the top competitors from each state all come together for the national high school competition. And then when you go to nationals, it rotates every couple of years to a different area or a different state, and you park with your state. So they have different because you stay in your horse trailer for most people or like RV type thing. And so all of the Texas people park together and all of the Iowa people park together. So it's interesting that someone from Iowa- We were on the outside and they were on the outside okay. of their section, so. Okay, and so then the other interesting, so, so we probably crossed paths and just have never met because today, you know, like we haven't really met until this semester, mm-hmm. so ironic. And then the second thing is, isn't that the same way that your boyfriend's um, brother and his wife met right through high school rodeo they did they met i think at their state so they were both living they both were from texas they met at state but texas state is a big thing i mean there's 10 regions in the Mm -hmm. high school texas high school rodeo so yeah yeah they did meet pretty much the same way so yeah through rodeo so crazy it is crazy yeah yeah and then your boyfriend's parents are rodeo people as well right Yeah, okay. So, so interesting. Small world. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so Texas does have regions. It's a huge rodeo state. Does Iowa have regions? Uh, Nope. The whole state is just one we go. I mean, my farthest rodeo is about six 
five, maybe five hours away, not quite six. And the closest one was like 20 minutes. So, okay. But you'll have to drive because re- that's, the, that's the good part about the regions in Texas is that they're all fairly close to you usually. Yeah. If you compete in your closest region. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to get sidetracked and derailed, <laughs> but like so much fascinating stuff happening right there. Yes. I didn't mean to ignore my other guests. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to talk. Just keep going. My name is Cameron. I'm from Alpine. I'm a fifth year senior here at Soros and yeah. What sport do you play, Cameron? I play softball. I've played my whole life. What position do you play in softball? Center field. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is your like specialty in softball? Like, if someone, if you had to say, what is the thing you're the best at in softball? What would you say? Um, I don't know. So I really like. There's this thing that um, I'm a lefty, and so like I don't know if y'all know, but like lefties are tend like they're perceived to be quicker and so they do this thing that like you where you slap and that's where you run and hit the ball at the same time okay and so I don't do that but I do bunt and run at the same time and it's like my I do it with one hand and I really enjoy doing that like if I was struggling at hitting I would much rather do that because I know I could get on base with that so I would think that would be my specialty I would like to think that is too so it's kind of a strategy to overcome like a slump in mm-hmm. baseball. You have a strategy. Okay, yeah. that's really interesting. Sweet. And I've never heard of it. I've never heard of a slap before, so I'm learning yeah. new things about sports. <laughs> and then also you're my graduate assistant or one of the graduate assistants in the same department where yes. I work. And I did not realize that you're a lefty. I see you every single day <laughs> and have not really put that together. So clearly I need to pay more attention to when we work together. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so you mentioned that you are the opposite of Laura, that you are from Alpine. You've always mm-hmm. been here. So... Tell me a little bit about living in Alpine, growing up in Alpine, and then what was it like to make the decision to stay in Alpine for college? So I actually, I initially signed to go play at a JUCO. In Texas? Odessa College, yes ma'am. And so I was there for a couple weeks max, maybe one week, and I hated softball. Like I- Oh, wow, in a week? Yes. I. Just kind of leading up to that, I didn't want to go. Like, I just, I don't know if it was leaving home or what, but I but I did go. I moved in and everything. I went to a couple practices, and the coach just was not for me. Like, I don't know. And um, so I was pretty miserable. Like, I wasn't eating in the dorms. Like, I just, I hated my life there. Oh, wow. And so uh, Coach Canaba, he's my uncle, he told my mom, he was like, you need to bring her back. So I moved all my classes online and then I went I came back home and coach Canaba convinced me to play softball and so at first I I've played for Canaba my whole life and so it wasn't playing for him it was just I don't know if I didn't know if I wanted to play I didn't know if I wanted to do that in Alpine again like I I was almost embarrassed too because I left home came back home stayed here like so that was probably one of the biggest things mm-hmm. but five years later here I am yeah. So fifth year, did you get an extra year of eligibility because of COVID? Or? Yes, okay. because of COVID, yeah. Okay. Those perks of COVID. I know. Few, few, th- few good things came out of it. Yeah, I yeah. guess. So did it take you a while to get over that mindset that you talked about, about like, am I a failure because I left and I didn't stay gone? Did it take you a while to get over that? Or once you kind of got back into that team and the action of playing? Mm-hmm. like Once, yeah, once I, because um, at first coming here, 
the girls had already known each other from the fall semester and so that was kind of, that kind of made things a little uncomfortable for me too but um feeling a little bit like an outsider yes and but I did have my cousin Annika and so that kind of yeah. helped a lot too and then eventually like just hanging around the girls like I eventually got close to them and so the feeling of like being a failure and embarrassment like that s- slipped away like really fast like it wasn't a problem for me anymore Laura, did you have any worries about that moving so far away that like, what if this doesn't work and I turn around and go home? Or like, did you have any worries about that failing when you got out here, like not wanting to stay here? Oh yeah, I mean, that's a big investment financially and just everything on my parents, a lot on my parents' part. So I was a little worried about that. I was like, hey, I don't want to let you guys down here. (laughs) And they're really supportive of it and still are. They're amazing, so. And it may be too soon to ask because we're only seven weeks into the first semester. So it may be too soon to ask, but you've... You've, you've made it seven weeks so far, so. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. Any advice as someone who did move away and then realized it wasn't for you and moved back? Like, Cameron, anything you would recommend or suggest, or? You're not an embarrassment and that it is okay. Like, if things don't work out, um, there's always a bigger plan for you. And I know, like, um, when I first left, like, I, money, my parents, like, disappointing them, but they're gonna love you. They're gonna be proud of you regardless. And so I, that was something I soon realized. So yeah. it's really okay. And I like looking at it now, yeah, I could have stayed there, but I am much happier here. So really, ha- as long as you're happy, that's really, that's all that matters. Yeah. What was your parents, um, what were their, what was the reaction when you were like, I'm coming home? <laughs> oh, my dad was furious with me. <laughs> it's funny because um, last year was my, true senior year and so when I walked the field and stuff that was one thing my dad did tell me he was like I was really disappointed in you and me and my sister just started laughing and we were like we know but look at us now yeah and but my mom she was um I think she was more hurt that I was hurting up there Mm -hmm. and so of course my mom supported me whatever the situation would be and so my sisters of course my sister was the one that helped me move my grandma was the one that came and helped me move because my parents couldn't my dad was just really the most (laughs) mad at me (laughs) so you mentioned a sister just one sibling I have three other siblings okay but the sister that you mentioned older or younger older okay my oldest um did she go to school at Sol Ross also or no so she played softball at Lubbock Christian okay also a softball player then okay so it runs in the family yes it does okay (laughs) and then other siblings are they younger so I I have the oldest, and then I have um, my second oldest. She played volleyball at Belhaven, okay. Mississippi. She's still up there. And then I have one of our competitors, right? Yes. Okay. Oh no, traitor! Yeah. And so, and then I have a little sister. She's in eighth grade now. Okay. Yeah. And then is she an athlete too? She's a big athlete. She'll probably okay. be one of the best. What's of her sport. favorite sport right now? Um, I think well, because we push her a lot with softball, and so I think volleyball right now okay yeah but what's her name do you want to give her a shout out Taryn <laughs> all right so everybody be on the lookout for Taryn up and coming athlete do we need to start yes. trying to like recruit her for Sol Ross now my deal probably already has <laughs> but yeah all right very good Laura what about you do you have siblings I do I have a younger brother two years younger than me and then a younger sister she's about seven or eight years younger than me so okay do they also compete in rodeo uh, yes, they will. My brother kind of, he's kind of taking a break from it, but uh, he roped, and uh, Madeline, my younger sister, she's starting to pretty much try all the events, and she she really likes it so far, so. Okay. And then, did your parents rodeo? 
my mom uh my mom did a little bit my dad did not grow up um in he, he actually grew up in the in a city more more or less and uh, they met and they're both very involved in the you know western life now but not necessarily rodeo but i did grow up riding horses a lot so okay so then what got you into rodeo uh well we moved around a lot um different states I was born in Kansas, and we moved to Wyoming, and then we moved to Iowa to around my mom's family and my dad's mom a little bit. Um, there really wasn't a lot else for me to do. I was like, gee, what am I going to do in <laughs> Iowa, you know? And once I started, I, I was riding, and there was a like a barrel race that was real close to my house, and I, would, I started going to that, and, you know, when I was about 11, I think, I started running barrels, about 11, and then I started roping, and then I joined junior high rodeo, and... So when you say Iowa, I think most people, we probably think of just like, you know. Corn. Yeah, cornfields, <laughs> you know. So when you think of Iowa, what do you think of? Corn. <laughs> okay, Corn, so our perception beans, is not off, right? Livestock, yeah. that. I mean, it's an important area, obviously. Right, you know, yeah. Corn. I don't mean to make light of it, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Agriculture, a lot yeah. of agriculture. So. so then did you have preconceived notions of what Texas was going to be like when you moved here? Of course. Uh, you know, I had some... <laughs> Well, when we lived in Wyoming, we made some really good friends, and they always kind of made fun of Texas people, like, oh, I think they're better than everybody else, <laughs> like, you know, Texas this. So I didn't really know, you know. I'd also heard of the Southern hospitality, so I was kind of interested to see what that was all about, but I like it so far, so. Is it what you thought it was going to be? Uh, not really. I mean, I would kinda, say maybe probably Alpine isn't your stereotypical Texas, right? No, so it's a bit different, which, and I did come to visit here a couple times before I really decided to, you know, fully commit but um I, there was, I met a lot of really nice people and I liked it for the most part so so then what was your parents reaction we talked about Cameron's Cameron's parents reaction when she moved back home but what was your reaction when your parents what was your parents reaction when you said mom and dad I'm moving to Texas well, for a boy I was originally going to move to Wyoming so I was still a ways they always knew that I wasn't going to stay in Iowa from, okay. the, from the moment we moved back they just I never really fit in there I really didn't it the people were nice but I just there it's not you know especially rodeo it's not super common mm -hmm. it's not as much of a lifestyle as it is around here I guess mm -hmm. just a lot more people know about it here maybe just in Texas in general but right um so they kind of knew they were kind of expecting it and after I'd been, you know, after I continued talking to this kid, living this kid. 16 hours away, <laughs> I know he'd be so mad if I referred to him like that. But, you know, when we lived 16 hours away and, and I was like, you know, I really think I want to do this. And they're like, all right, we'll get you there. So they're amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. So no hesitation, no reservations. I'm sure there was. At, you was know, there a sit down like, okay, but these are the rules. This is what the There really wasn't, are. you know, they they I worked I did I worked a lot um, during school during the summer and you know I was they knew I was working really hard for it and they wanted to do everything I could because this is probably something that they themselves would have loved to do and they're the kind of parents that you know they want to give me all the opportunity they can if especially if it's something that they would have loved to do and so that's probably their motivation behind it. Right, the American dream, right? To have our kids do better than we did, right? Mm -hmm. So Cameron laughed when you said this kid. I know. Um, just to be a little <laughs> more politically correct to him, would you like to acknowledge your boyfriend, give him a shout out like Cameron did for her sister? Wyatt Kibbe, <laughs> Wyatt Kibbe. Hey Wyatt Kibbe, you are not just this kid, okay? I we know. wanna We wanna correct that right now. Oh boy. <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe maybe we can edit that part out. Like, we'll fix it. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah. So did you play any other sports besides rodeo growing up? Oh, I tried. Uh, I tried playing volleyball. Um, wasn't real great at serving the ball over the net. Basketball, I tried a little bit. And my defense wasn't bad, but um, I, uh, I I couldn't handle the ball. And I rolled my ankle all the time. So <laughs> I enjoyed track, but it was during rodeo season. I probably would have continued track had the schedule not conflicted a lot because I still enjoy running. So I, I probably would have done that, but you know, I kind of had to choose and obviously I, ch- I chose rodeo, so. And you tried all the rodeo events, but at College Rodeo, you specialize in barrel racing. Do you do any other events as well? I dabble in the breakaway roping. Okay. I got one horse here right now and I've tried doing both on her before and it just doesn't really work out. You know, you gotta consider your horse's mental health, I guess you can mm-hmm. say. Some horses are capable of it and some aren't. and. Right now, she hasn't proven to me that she's capable of doing both, so. I guess, so one of the things that I, one of the really reasons I wanted to do this podcast was to talk about like some of the similarities and differences between the two sports. And when we were talking about trying to do breakaway and barrels on one horse for somebody that's maybe a traditional sports athlete or isn't as familiar with rodeo, can you put that into a sports analogy? What would be the comparison of trying to do the same thing or trying to do two different sports on one horse? I guess that'd be the same as, you know, you trying to do two sports at once. I mean, your horse is, I, you know, I want to say more of the athlete than you are. Obviously, yeah. you know, we put in a lot of work to it, but your horse is a large part. Rough stock's a little different because, you know, those guys got to be in pretty good shape to, to make a ride. But when you when you have a horse and you have to care for your horse, you have to you got to make sure that, you know, they're capable of it. So if you were trying to do softball and volleyball and you had to go to two practices and you had to prepare yourself for both events and know the plays for both and, you know, know your teammates for both, it it would be, it would be more, it'd be difficult and probably not realistic at all. Yeah. That's kind of why you, so it's kind of the same. It's a little different. I was kind of thinking and trying to put it in softball terms. Maybe Cameron could understand. It would be trying I've to play like softball, but uh, I don't know. I'd probably play two positions. I'd say. Play or I'd be, I was thinking once. like trying to play softball with a football. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right, like trying mm-hmm. to hit a football with your softball bat. Mm-hmm. Right, like that would be the comparison of trying to rope a breakaway calf on a barrel racing horse. Right, like you're using the wrong tool. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so have you, you specialize in softball now. You told us you what position you play. You told us kind of your, like, thing that you're the best at, your specialty. <laughs> so did you play other sports growing up? Yes, ma'am, I did. So um, in middle school, I did everything. Volley- we didn't have softball in middle school, but I did volleyball, track, and basketball. And then in high school, I did volleyball, track, and softball. Okay. So you... Sounds like y'all both kind of had a similar upbringing, playing, you know, trying out all the sports. Did you grow up in a small town? I did. Very yeah. Small. Okay. Small Alpine, yeah. small town. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so similar upbringing. So you gave everything a chance, and you know, we were talking about that the other day. That I think kids, you know, are becoming so much specialist at such a young age that they're missing out on some of that fundamental development that happens when you try all of the sports mm-hmm. and go through all of that, you know, athletic training that you have to go through to learn how to kick and hit and run and swing and throw. That um, if you specialize too early, you miss out. On 
on some of those foundational and fundamental skills that can really propel you and set you apart later on, even when you do get to your specialty. So I think that's so important. So I think it's really awesome that you'll both, you know, at least dabbled and tried a little mm -hmm. bit of everything. When did you realize softball was going to be your main sport or did you like ever make that decision? So I, um, it really just came down to my senior year where I got offers and okay. I only got offers in softball. I did enjoy volleyball a lot more, but I think that was only because growing up, I did competitive softball. We went tournaments every weekend, so it was more hard, or like hard, softball was where I put all of my effort in and stuff. So I think volleyball was like a relief. Yeah. And so, but yeah, like I said, in um, it didn't, it only came down to my senior year where I got offers and which was softball. Yeah, that's really interesting. I saw that with my own son that he grew up primarily calf roping and focusing on that, which is a one-person event. And we didn't really practice team roping. We didn't have a team roping arena. We didn't have team roping steers or anything to practice. So when he would go enter a team roping, I think it was like you described, it was such a relief because there was not as much pressure or mm -hmm. expectations because we didn't practice. There weren't as many expectations on it. So he actually excelled a lot in the team roping because we didn't have as much pressure on him on that event. Um, but we still put all of our pressure on the um, calf roping. And now in college, he's excelling more as a team roper than a calf roper. So yeah. some really similar story. Um, so it sounds like you came from a pretty athletic family, all of your yes. sisters play. <laughs> so which side of your you know, genetics did you get that athleticism from? I don't know. My um, So my mom and my aunt went to state in volleyball and when they were in high school. and But my dad, he ran track he I'm I don't know if he ran football but I know he was a big track star and so I guess just both of them all right yeah were your parents really um hardcore sports parents were they like die hard like in the stands yelling pushing you to compete and go harder like really driving you to practice after hours do more well play? my dad was on the field with me he was, my <laughs> dad was my coach okay. and so yeah he was pretty die hard and then I do know like when I would mess up on the field, I would hear my mom in the stands. And so, yeah, I guess you could say that they were pretty diehard for us. And you can probably relate to that because in rodeo, we don't have coaches. And so your parents are your coaches. So were your parents, what were your parents like as your coaches or did they play that role? Oh, yeah. They, my dad, you know, you got to be even growing up riding. You still got to be taught some things, obviously, in order to do it right. And my dad was always out there, you know, one on one with me and until I got it right and you know sometimes you know how people always say uh, I was up till three in the morning doing math and my dad was over the table yelling at me do your math well that happened as well as uh, the same thing with rodeo but and they were both very they're there for me a lot but they were they they put down you know rules and but once I got older I kind of had the motivation like I'm gonna practice and I would get up and you know I'd practice whenever I whenever I needed to, sometimes twice a day, you know, before school, after school, that was mainly before I got a job. But So it wasn't them having to tell you to do it anymore? No. Uh, you know, once you get older, if, you, if you're going to be successful at it, you kind of have to reach a point where you want to practice, especially, especially with rodeo. You kind of have to want to practice. If you have to have someone sitting there telling you, you're probably not going to have the self-motivation to go to the next level. 
Ooh, that was really insightful. I think if you are listening, you probably need to rewind a few seconds and listen to that again. I think we could probably all play that in our head every day to remind ourselves, like if someone's having to tell you to do it, you're probably not really wanting it. And, you know, I think that was excellent, excellent advice. Very good. So we talked a little bit about your sports background, Laura, that you've tried some different sports in addition to rodeo. So Cameron, do you have any familiarity with rodeo? Like, did you ever go to a rodeo? Have you ever been to one? Like, have you ever tried to ride a horse? No, I've never tried to ride a horse. The only rodeos that I've been to um, are, are the rodeos here. The Solrest College yeah. Rodeo, yeah. But um, actually, I do have, so, do you know Turtle Pal? No. No, okay, he's, do you know him? Yeah. Yeah, so I do know him. Okay. But yeah, that's probably. How do you know Turtle Pal? Him and my dad were best friends. He was my dad's best man. Oh, okay. My parents' wedding, yeah. Okay, so do you want to explain to the listeners if they don't know who Turtle Pal is? No, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know him better. I just know his name. You know him I better. Just, he's big in rodeo, yeah. Yeah, professional team roper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well-renowned team roper. Yeah. Um, when I, the town that I grew up in, there was a little boy named after him, and his Aww. parents called, named him Turtle after. Yeah. Yes. Very cool story. So interesting. So are you, do you ever have, um, like I was talking to one of the other graduate students in our program and they were telling me that one of their bucket list items was to try to ride a bull. So do you have any rodeo bucket list items? Do you have any goals to try to ride a horse or to try to ever do anything Western related? No. Swing a rope, do anything? I've never really thought about it actually, but I mean, maybe ride a horse, but. What do you, ha- do you think you could do it? Like, do you think, have you ever seen what a barrel, have you ever seen a barrel racing run before? Right, so you've been to the college rodeo. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you think you could do that? No. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't wanna, I'm not trying to say yes or no, I just yeah. be curious what you're. No, I don't think I could. Sometimes those, sometimes athletes, I love it. They're like, I've never tried it before, but absolutely, 100%, <laughs> I just have that confidence, no matter what I can do, right? That's yeah. what I love about athletes. Yeah, do you think that you could play softball? Like, do you think you could hit a home run? I mean, I know not a home run. I think, think I could, could play, do but what I don't think it? I could play well. Do you think you could do a tap? Is that what it's called? Uh, my no. A one hand bunt. What was that? Slap. Slap. Yeah. Sorry. Slap. Well, considering <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. not left handed, definitely not. Um, <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't probably work out the greatest. I mean, I'd sure give it a try, but because I mean, it's probably not as much risk involved as getting on a horse <laughs> if you haven't before. But yeah, I wouldn't. No, definitely wouldn't be uh, recruited. Just say that. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it, okay. Mm -hmm. So when I was putting together the episodes and the list and like which athletes I would pair up, the way that I came up with putting barrel racing together with softball is just thinking about the three bases in softball and the three barrels in barrel racing. And that was just kind of my, what I was thinking about of how I would put these together. And so the title of this episode is actually, there's no place like home. So thinking about like you started in the alley and trying to get back to the alley and you thinking about taking off from your slap (laughs) and trying to score at home plate and you know like that's your goal right is Mm -hmm. to get back to home plate as fast as you can and to score that run and when you make a barrel racing run that that's your goal to get back to home as fast as you as you can so that was really what was going through my mind when I started you know really digging into this idea of this podcast and thinking about okay so Laura you're in the alley for anybody that's not familiar familiar with barrel racing um the way that it starts or maybe you want to describe you're doing it so why don't you describe it like what's it what's what happens before you actually enter the arena I mean you go through the like you said the alley this is just the gates the chutes leading up to the pattern and you got your electric eye that starts your and stops your time and 
every arena is a little different, so I always look to see, you know, where that's at. Sometimes you don't need to take off as soon. So an electric eye is a digital timer, in case anyone doesn't know. So when you when your horse runs in front of that, whichever part of you or the horse passes that first starts the time, and when you pass back in front of it, stops the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you don't always have to start as soon. You know, if that, that eye is, like, closer to that first barrel, you're not going to want to run for a long time that that you know that's not needed but if it's right there at the gate you got to be kind of going in the alley which sometimes affects how your horse sees the first barrel which affects how they turn the first barrel so well and the other thing that i notice a lot is that barrel racers barrel racing horses are temperamental and the alley can be kind of a dangerous spot right because they are high power athletes and they are ready to run. This is what they are trained to do. So when you're there, a lot of times the barrel racers are almost having to hold them back and you see the horses kind of prancing and turning sideways and rearing a little bit. So is that ever scary? When you like, when you, if for the first time when you start running a horse, when you're like little and you're first starting it, you know, I can kind of remember the first time I, it was a different horse than the one I run now, but uh, it was a gelding and he, uh, I remember the first few times he'd, he'd get worked up and I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is a lot, but it's intense. that's what comes with more speed. So you start to say, well, I'm, I'm getting, getting faster. I'm doing better. So you start to associate with that, with this is going to be good. Like, let's go. Yeah. So then what's going through your mind, um, as that's happening? Like, what are you thinking about before you actually enter the arena? Uh, just keeping my horse calm and like like I said, you know, I want her to see that first barrel. So if she's really really worked up, you know, I got to do what I can, control my breathing. Like even though she is jumping around, I have to focus on one goal at mind. And if I am not paying attention to what's going on, then we're not turning that first barrel. So do you have any like set pre-run rituals that you do? Yeah, I mean, a warm-up. Warm-up, I got to warm my horse up, obviously, since she's the one doing that, that running. I got to make sure her muscles are all warmed up. And But are you OCD like an athlete? Like, I remember when I was in basketball, it had to do, like, dribble the ball three times. And I had to do, you know, like, do you have to run? Do you have to lope five circles? Do you have to always lope to the right first or to the left first? Or do you have to adjust your stirrups? Or do you have to, like, do you rubber band your feet? Like, any of those things. As far as like the, you know, the stuff like try to do the same thing. I used to do that, but then I found it like messed with my head too much. Like I'd be like trying to control every little thing. And sometimes you just can't, you just cannot. It's not a realistic achievement. You can't do that. So now I have more of the mindset of, you know, I'm going to get my horse warmed up as good as I can, obviously. But, you know, if I can't do a set number of circles or if I can't warm up in the same place because there's too many people, oops then you know that's gonna I can't do the same thing every time you gotta you gotta change it up that's the thing with horses you have to change it up if you do the same thing every time you're probably gonna run into some issues so not really but obviously I do rubber band my feet I do those kind of things you know I rubber band my feet pick my horse's feet out for the runs I you know make sure she's good obviously yeah. Do you already have an idea of how fast you think your run's going to be or how wide you want to take the turns or like have you been watching the barrel racers before? Like are you already analyzing the ground? I usually do and I usually try to if I don't know if I've somewhere I've never been before, I'll ask like, Hey, what's the ground like here? Um, you know, is it if it's sometimes if it's stickier, my horse doesn't really love sticky ground, so I know I'm gonna have to push her a little bit, kinda decides where my hands go a little bit. Um, 
like I said, the eye, you know, how fast or soon I need to start. Um, my my pockets, my turns are usually usually about the same. So. so it sounds like you know where your horse well enough and yourself yeah. well enough that you go into it pretty confident. That's the biggest part. Of You're not racing. guessing at it or figuring it out as you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Cameron, kind of thinking about that same, you know, again, that kind of similarity. So you're in the dugout watching the game before you get up to bat. You're watching the pitcher throw. You're watching the girls bat before you. Like, what's going through your mind at that point? Like, are you nervous? Are you excited? Are you anxious? Like, what's happening? Um, I guess that just kind of depends on who we're playing. Like, if I'm, it's a, supposed to be a good game, my anxiety levels are pretty high. But if I, like, the team not to be like disrespectful or anything, but if they're not like as good as we are, like I'm more relaxed. Okay. And so as part of like being in the dugout and stuff, I really just try to watch the pitcher, um, see what, like, cause some pitchers when they're doing their warm up pitches, they don't do their full speed to maybe to throw us off. I don't know, but yeah. some of them actually do. So I do try and get my timing with that, with their pitches and yeah. So then when you're up in the batter circle, when you're the next up to bat and you're swinging, are you thinking about pitch speed and your bat speed as well? Like, are you practicing that and kind of seeing that in your mind? Are you visually rehearsing what's going to happen? Do you do that visual practice? Yes, I do. um, Just kind of like a confidence thing, too, that helps to just like visually like seeing myself hit the ball and stuff like that. But um, when I'm in the circle, again, I just kind of focus more on the timing and um just kind of like work my mind a little bit like if she threw a strike to the batter in front of me like okay she's probably gonna try and get her to swing so watch out for like the uh waist pitch and that would be like a change up or something just to kind of throw her off and so when I'm seeing that I'm like kind of thinking like okay she's probably gonna do the same thing to you so you have to be prepared for that just kind of stuff like that. It's so funny when you're talking about that. I'm picturing that, um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but one of those gambling movies where they're sitting there like counting cards, right? That's what I'm picturing, right? Like you're <laughs> predicting what's going to happen next. Like, okay, they've thrown two change-up pitches. Mm-hmm. Next is going to be a fastball, like that kind of stuff. So then um, you kind of got your plan. And so when you start walking from the circle to the actual like base, like mm-hmm. to get ready to get in the box, like what's happening in your mind from that point on? Is that in those few steps that you're walking as you're walking up just to the plate. confidence mainly and then like I know um it helps saying like positive affirmations to yourself like and then even if I'm struggling with something like weight on the pitch like example like an example like that like I just remind myself just like the positive affirmations like you could do this or wait on it wait on the outside like wait on the change up just talking to myself mainly so where did you learn about positive affirmations from is that something that you've just kind of always known or always done or Um, coaches taught you no yeah I've never really started to do it I guess until high school but in college I think that's more when I started struggling a little bit more so like our coach would tell us like say positive things to yourself like try and get your confidence up and so high school I would do it a little bit but I really mainly started focusing on it uh for college is that something you ever use Laura positive affirmations do you ever do that too oh yeah I mean when you get down you gotta if you want to continue doing the sport because it's a given in any sport there's highs there's lows so when you are in those lows if you don't if you don't tell yourself good things when you're you know during your sport then you're you're gonna quit so in order to keep your morale whether it's a team whether it's your horse 
gotta you gotta tell yourself positive things so yes i do all right so when you're standing there you're at the plate you got your arms up bat up ready (laughs) just waiting on the pitch what's happening then um just focusing i try and read because pitches they could go in any direction so i just try to see it's going to be an inside I know what I need to do I need to turn my hips really and have fast hands if it's going to be an outside pitch so when I'm in the box I just try and just breathe again positive and just kind of read the pitch you're shaking your head Laura you're that sounds familiar well yeah just the breathing yeah that's a, that's a big part I think of anything if you forget to breathe and you're all tense <laughs> you're probably not going to do the greatest so yeah um, I'm doing yoga for the athletes this year, and that's one of the things that we spend a lot of time working on. I think everybody would love it if I, we would just sit there and breathe the whole class. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully it's helping because I do think that that's such a powerful tool that we underestimate in, in a lot of areas of life. Okay, so do you ever get yourself, Cameron, do you ever get yourself in trouble like um, predicting what pitch is going to come next? Like mm-hmm. you already have it made up in your mind of what's coming and then it's wrong? Yes, so... Um if I'm not expecting like a, if I'm just expecting a regular pitch, a fastball, and it's a changeup, pitchers can make us all bat, our, all the batters look so goofy doing that, just because we're not <laughs> expecting a slow pitch. Yeah. And so when we swing, it's it's terrible. So what does that feel like? So if that happens, they change it up, you feel foolish. Like, do you hear the crowd? Do you hear the noise? What are you What are you telling yourself? So I just try to kind of laugh it off. And I know, like, um, one of my teammates in the circle hitting after me, like, we, I look at her and we just shake our heads and we just start laughing. But I do know, like, so when we're on defense and our pitchers do that, the boys in the stands yell and stuff. But when I'm hitting and I'm the one looking goofy, I don't hear that. But I do know, like, when I'm on the other side of it, I can definitely hear like the fans like making fun of the batter and stuff so yeah so when you're batting do you hear noise for the most part at all um I hear hear certain people okay yeah and I hear um do you want to say I hear Jordan a lot (laughs) do you want to say who Jordan is Jordan is my boyfriend (laughs) I hear him and then um one of my old teammates from last year I would always hear her dad Jordan you're powerful so you better use your words (laughs) right yeah okay same thing for you. So when you're about to, you know, head out of the alley and start your pattern, do you hear anything? Like, I've seen a lot of, no offense, but like barrel racer moms, like standing at that first barrel, like just yelling. So like, were your parents doing that? And did you hear that? My mom was never the typical barrel racing mom. And I thank God for that. <laughs> barrel racing moms are real. It is um, like that dance mom show, right? Like it, there could be a show about barrel racer moms for there sure. really could. And there should be. That's not a bad idea. There you but. go, reality TV people. There's your plan. <laughs> um, my mom, she was a silent supporter. She okay. would, you know, after my runs, she she always videoed. So here's what we need to change, and you know, or this was really good. She's really good about that. I do have a pretty vivid memory. Um, my eighth grade year, I was on the bubble of qualifying for nationals in the, and I had to make a run. And this one girl, she had to basically not place. And she ran a few before me, and she got a no time. So I was like, all right, I have to pull out, like, a certain time. The days before that, I hadn't ran. I'd placed, but I hadn't ran real fast times. I needed to get a lot better. And so I made my run, and when I was going around the the last turn, I heard my dad. He was standing kind of behind me, and my dad is a very loud, commanding voice. And he yelled, go, like, in his voice, and... 
I have a video of it still, and I remember hearing that, and it was like almost startling, like, oh, I better go. Jeez, like, oh, Dad's yelling. It's a good thing he was behind you and not in front of you, right? Yeah, no <laughs> like, oh, I'm not halted. But otherwise, I really don't hear a lot. Okay. Um, so. so then Cameron was talking about embarrassing, so that embarrassing moment of like a pitch throwing you off. So like I know in rodeo, like embarrassing for barrel racing would probably be knocking down all three barrels. Like that's the epitome of a barrel racing faux pas, I would guess, right? So have you ever had that happen to you? I have not. Um, knock, I, you better I, knock on the table <laughs> right now. Cameron's doing it for you, yes. I have not, but... Um, I'm sorry, rodeo coach. I did not. I'm not trying to jinx her. Okay. Yeah, my horse is pretty good about that, honestly. Like, okay. n- not even like worrying about jinxing, but she's pretty good about that. And have you ever seen it happen? And like, do you like squirm for that person? I do feel bad for. Her. I'm like, I feel bad for you. You know, you need to, you need some ice cream, and <laughs> you need to, you deserve a little bit of time to yourself. So, I do feel bad for her for sure. Okay. All right. So you've hit the perfect pitch. It's what you want. You've made the perfect start to your run. It's what you want. So you're in the middle of that right now. Like you're making your barrel run. You're making your um, base run. Like what's happening while you're running? Um, I say it's just, I just got to stay focused really. I mean, most I've ran barrels for a while now. So a lot of it's muscle memory. I kind of know what to expect once in a while, you know, things thrown for a loop. Your horse trips, your, you they you know like oh that barrel's a lot closer than i thought it was going to be just you know random things um so just stay focused and not get too lost in the moment because if your mind just goes blank then you're probably going to do something not the you know not the best um but you don't want to overthink while you're no. out there. And I used to have that problem a lot. I used to overthink, okay, I got to do this, got to do this. No, you have muscle memory. Use yeah. it. So. And that causes more problems, right? It when does. you get in your head too it much. It really does. And I think that's probably goes for any sport. Okay. Would you say the same thing, Cameron? Yeah. So, like she said, muscle memory. Um, since we were in eight and under, we have always been taught how to run the bases, which foot to hit. When you hit the base, like just at what point do you look at your third base coach so a bunch of that is all muscle memory but as I'm running I'm just really paying attention to my coaches and I know for some people it's hard they're trying to look at the ball see how far they can go but I trust my coaches enough to like they know my speed they know when to hold me when to send me so that's really what I'm focusing on too oh so that brings up a good issue um so you talk about having to trust your coaches and you're having to trust your horse so there's a lot of trust involved in what you're doing because like you mentioned Cameron, you shouldn't be watching the ball you have to trust that your coach knows what's Mm -hmm. going on and that he's going to guide you and you have to trust that your horse is going to respond to your hands and that they you know again have that muscle memory and know what know their job so that's a really interesting point i hadn't really put that together and that's a cool similarity that y'all both just brought up that that's really interesting so had you ever thought about that before about how much trust is involved in your sport is that something you've ever put thought into before or yeah i've thought about it just because like we're always when our pitchers are struggling we're always telling them like just pitch a strike and trust that your defense will help you out and defend the ball and so um and then like you said like I have realized how much we trust our coaches when we're running and for them they really do a good job about knowing when to send us and stuff so that is something I have realized. And it gives a whole new perspective to that quote trust the process right? Mm -hmm. I hadn't really like you hear that all the time and you know you say it whatever but now that y'all talk about that it really is interesting when you say that so so fascinating I just learned (laughs) something super cool. Um, Okay so then we've we've 
we're touched third base. We've cleared that third um, barrel. We're headed home. What's going through your mind now? Like, you know, you're so close to the finish line. You're so close to home plate. You're so close to that um, electric eye, like getting the time that you want. What's happening right now? Uh, for me, I would just say um, I, that's probably the probably the funnest moment okay. of the run. That's the part I enjoy the most. So, you know, just it, just enjoying it and you know I'm here I'm it's a, I made another run and it's it's whether it was good or bad you know I tried and I laid it all out there so let's just enjoy this and so that's you know hustle the rest of the way and have fun when you say that I'm picturing that um photo on social media of the like dog and they talk about like when the clock strikes five o'clock at your job on Friday afternoons and it's like the dog with their ears yep. blowed back running through the field at you know high speed that's what I picture when you say that like <laughs> just that like freedom fun part like this is what it all was for right like this is what all the hard works were for was this part of it right mm -hmm. do you feel the same way yes I do just whether I'm sliding into home or running like I could I hear at that point I do hear the crowd like they're cheering okay cool a point, so the sound so. comes back mm -hmm. yeah that, oh that's neat. that part is pretty fun oh that's cool <laughs> huh um so you mentioned sliding do you prefer to slide uh is it fun it is fun, yes. But um, if you get the chance, are you like, oh yeah, I'm sliding. Yeah. I want to do well, it. Well, we actually don't have a choice. Our coach, uh, Coach Canaba, tells us it, at a, for a close play, if you don't get down, uh, you're getting taken out. <laughs> and so, Oops. so, yeah. So we're always sliding, but okay. um, I do. It, okay. It's fun. So is there a lot of technique? Is it hard to learn to slide? Is it scary? So I slide on my stomach, like hands first. Ooh. And that's because. Um, my senior year in volleyball, I sprained my ankle. And so, like, when I slide on my butt, I was scared to slide with my ankle. So, but sliding on the ground, I mean, with your butt and your legs first, that does take some technique. Okay, listen, I joke on this show all the time that I am a fit lead. I am not an athlete, and I've never competed at rodeo. I'm just a rodeo mom. So it's ironic that I'm doing the show because I crack myself up. <laughs> but I just have this visual, when you talk about that, of sliding headfirst, of me, like, diving and sort of just doing a belly flop in the dirt and actually not sliding sort of just stopping like two feet from the plate like has that ever happened uh no <laughs> <laughs> okay good good but that is what i picture would happen that's what would happen if a fit leet tried to slide head first into home plate i have seen it happen it hasn't <laughs> happened to me but where people do slide too short from the back and oh my yeah. gosh i can't even imagine <laughs> Okay, so you're talking about sliding. So one of the things that that brings back to rodeo for me is um, there's a lot of ground issues with barrel racing. And I think that's, um, you know, one of those hot buzz topics in barrel racing is the ground, right? And is it going to be um, the right, What? how would you describe it? The right amount of moisture in the ground, the right amount of softness, the right amount of thickness and depth and all the things so that the horse will be able to turn appropriately and not slide um, too much, you know, have enough slide, but not too much so that they don't go down. And it's one of the scariest things as a rodeo mom watching a barrel horse go down, yeah. turning those corners. So have you had a horse fall on you and how picky are you about the ground? Have you ever turned out of a race because you didn't like the ground? Well, there would have, there was a few in high school rodeo that I would have liked to because in Iowa we have a lot of rain and we ran in primarily outdoor arenas and there was several that I would have liked to. But that's not really an option in high school rodeo because, you know, every 
you only have Every so many matters. rodeos. So if everyone else is running but you, plus you already paid your entry fees, you don't get those back. It's you're there for the weekend. It's a little bit different than you know if you were on like the pro rodeo circuit. And I, so, I there had been a few I would like to, but didn't and. You know, I went about that in a lot of different way. Obviously, if I'm running in the mud, I didn't go at it as much, and I was a lot more cautious. And I have had a horse go not all the way down. I didn't fall off or anything like that, But and I I didn't run him. I did more or less draw out halfway through the race. I didn't. I just trotted him through the rest of it, and I said, all right, you're good. You're not. Were you where the horse injured? Uh, no. He, he was fine. And I actually ran in that same arena on the horse I have now and she didn't go down as much but she did in and so I just never went back to that arena I ran there twice and I had a horse fall pretty like the worst falls I've ever had in my career in the same arena I was like all right we're not going there anymore. (laughs) that's not the place for us Mm -hmm. yeah and then in Cameron and softball y'all play rain or shine right as long as there's not lightning Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so have there been some really messy condition messy conditions you've had to play in um rain yeah not like where it's pouring but there have been times where we're on defense and it's hard for a pitcher to pitch the ball because the ball's getting wet. When the ball's hit to us, it's hard for us to throw because it had just rolled in the wet grass, like mm-hmm. just stuff like that. We have um, also played where the dirt is just getting blown in every direction, and that really hurts, especially <laughs> against your arms. West Texas yes. dirt, yeah. It hurts, and it's just like little pokes at you. What are the What is the West Texas dust storm called? Um Dust devils? No, um, it's like the craziest word. Do you remember what it's called? Um, okay, I'm gonna come back to it. But like, the, I saw the first one. Like, I was actually getting pulled over, getting a speeding ticket when I saw, <laughs> saw the first one. I was like so fascinated by this West Texas <laughs> dust storm that I was like speeding. Probably not a good combination, right? But I was, I was like, but I was running from the dust storm. It's called. Oh gosh, I can't think what it's called. I'm I know what you're talking about, but I don't. It's know like the this name. huge dust cloud. It's not a wind tunnel or like whatever a little. I don't know. I'll think of it in a minute. Okay, but this brings up the issue that I'm really the most excited to talk to y'all about. So talking about the ground, and Cameron knows what's coming at, but I kind of gave her a little heads up. But I think with both of your sports, there are some stereotypes associated with the athletes in your sports. Like, um, so for the barrel racers, there's a whole song about you. Oh, yes, <laughs> um, If you haven't heard the song, you might want to go get on Spotify and Google Barrel Race. Is it, it's just called Barrel Racer, right? Or Barrel, barrel, barrel Racer, Racer Land. Land. Yeah, yeah it's Barrel a, Racer Land. It's a good one. It's a good one, yeah. Um, just imagine my son was like 13 singing this to me when it first came out or whatever, and I was like, oh my gosh. I went somewhere um, wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was like, parent fail. <laughs> um, and then Cameron, you know, there's some stereotypes associated with softball. There's been some movies made about it and some, <laughs> you know, things that we hear. So I would like to hear it straight from the athletes directly in the sports. What are some things that people have said to you or questions that they've asked you that stereotype you? And what do you feel like? And do you you know, like, how do you deal with the stereotypes associated with your sport? Do you feel like that, that, that they're true or accurate? Or would you like to dispel any of them on the air while you have a captive audience? I'd say for barrel racers, it really depends. I mean, I refer to myself as a crazy barrel racer at this point. <laughs> I've just come to embrace it. That, that's And like you were talking about with the ground earlier, some people are really picky. But when you have a really expensive horse or you are putting lots of money into the care of your horse. So let's just put it in perspective. So if there's yeah. a somebody listening who isn't familiar with barrel racing, what would you say like top end barrel racing horse would cost? 
Oh Lord, I don't even I don't even want to know. I try not to look at those. I mean, just if you were trying to buy a horse that you could be competitive at the college rodeo level, especially in this region, you're looking at about forty thousand dollars at least. I know people that have paid seventy thousand dollars. Oh, for see, a horse. I would have said six figures. So you way undershot what I would have said. Oh yeah, I'm sure there there are some people who would, but yeah, you know, obviously I. So we're looking at, you know, fifty to a hundred thousand dollars for your horse. So, oh, yeah. Cameron, can you imagine playing fifty to a hundred thousand dollars for your bat or your glove? Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've never actually had to. I've always got my glove and bat bought for me, so I don't know how expensive those could be. Do you be. just want to roll your eyes at her right now a little bit? <laughs> Not that expensive, but I'll be, I'll be nice. <laughs> that was the crazy barrel racer in her right there. Yeah. Okay, so the stereotype is the crazy barrel racer, just to put it out there, right? Mm-hmm. So what would you say like is the stereotype, stereotype that people associate with barrel racers? How would you describe it? You know, particular about the ground. Oh my gosh, it's it's got to be this or I can't. Or complaining about... Oh, I didn't do good because of the ground or like that song that you're referencing the beginning of it goes she hauls a 50 footer to pull one horse or (laughs) she pulls a 50 footer to haul one horse that's a 50 foot trailer that's a very large trailer I do not fit into that stereotype (laughs) for the main reason that I could not pull a 50 foot trailer mainly because I don't have a truck to do it. Second of all, I cannot get that good at driving a trailer. Yeah, it definitely takes some skill so, to make some turns and park a 50-foot trailer that, for sure. That was, that was a hard... I'm still learning that. but Yeah, there's just so much... Um, specifics that goes into barrel racers are more specific probably than any other rodeo athlete about the care of their animal they're top end animals they're really expensive Mm -hmm. so they're going to be more particular about the care of their animal they have to have special boots and special wraps and special you know like supplements and they have to have a special vet and they you know like have to you know have a special stall and special ground and special footing and they have to ride in a special trailer and oh no you can't do that because my horse is you know like these are the things that i hear right or that i would probably say are what the stereotypes of barrel racers are that i was thinking about right am i am i off no that's that pretty much sums it up so you would say that you fit into some of that or none of that or where i mean i care about my horse's health so obviously i don't have the kind of the kind of finances to uh, to do a lot of that stuff. I wish I could. Now, if I had the money, I probably would be a lot more of a crazy barrel racer. But what would you say? Like, um, I wouldn't tell you I'd have money, but there'd be signs. Yeah, there'd be. You'd, you'd see my horse with some of them fancy boots and some of that. But you know, if you if you were really competitive, like I. I do okay at the college rodeos, but there are some people that are, you know, much much better than I am. That you just have to kind of accept, and. They put a, a lot more money into the care of their horses. And so, you know, that's a lot what it's about is... Do you think you can win without the money? Barrel racing is... You can. You can. But that would require you to, like, not buy have bought your horse. You would basically have to have uh, raised it on your own. And to find a horse that is capable of competing at that level, you don't always just have that sitting in your backyard. Even if you, it's something that you have... If your family has, you know, breeds horses and you have impeccable bloodlines and all that and you are a great horse trainer and even if you raise this horse from the beginning, put money into it from the beginning, without that initial investment, you still, there's just a lot of it because there's, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that because 
Well, and I think that's probably the biggest challenge of your sport as yes. opposed to a lot of the others is that you could be the greatest actual barrel racer, but you can't race if you don't have that horse. So if you, and you might have had a horse and maybe it gets injured mm -hmm. or um, it just gets too old or something happens, you know, like you're just sitting at home waiting and it, you can't just go buy another one at the store. You know, like you can't just go pick one up, up off the shelf. And even if you find another great horse, you still have to have that dynamic and that relationship. You still have to gel with that horse. Mm -hmm. So even if it's a great horse, if it's not a fit for you, if y'all styles don't match, maybe you prefer to turn right, you know, go to the right barrel first instead of the left, you know, all of those things play into it or they're a longer strided horse or they're a shorter bodied horse or something you know all of those factors make a difference mm -hmm. so i just think it's super fascinating that you can be great and ex excellent at what you do and not be able to compete yeah, i you would know? just say i guess a good way to answer that question would be money isn't everything it won't buy you a good you can't buy your writing skills but it is a large part of it mm -hmm. so. yeah all right so anything you want to say to dispel the myths um, or the stereotypes of barrel racers. Any? Some people bring it on themselves. <laughs> <laughs> some of some of them do. Okay. Uh, so I don't agree with every 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 barrel racer out there. I really don't. But you know they probably don't agree with me. So I just do my thing. And if they are if something works for them, it works for them. And mm -hmm. whatever works for me works for me. So. All right. All right, Cameron, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this topic. Tell me what it's like to be a female collegiate softball player and what stereotypes do you get associated with and what questions do you get asked? Um, so stereotypes for softball is that we're big, we're, like you said, butchy, like, but we also get asked, I don't know what I can and can't say. Are there any rules? No. Okay. Really. No rules. I also Honestly, get no asked if, like, if our team is gay, like, how many of y'all, like, just stuff like that, and, like she said, not that they bring it on themselves, but there are some girls that are big, there are some girls that do, are, are gay, but we get generalized, like, that's how our whole team is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. so, do you wish that, like, that you could separate yourself from the stereotypes, or do you... You know, how would you like to address it? What would I be the best really, way? I don't really like. I don't. It's not. I don't get offended. Like I don't care. Like when people ask, like ask us or ask me, like I just kind of laugh because that's what we're like stereotyped as. But um, yeah, it's nothing like. I just always think that's such a funny question because who your sexual preference is does it matter? Does it yeah. affect how you hit the ball or how fast you run? Really? Like yeah. I don't know. I mean, how does it ma Why does it matter? Can, can we look up? At the, is there research on that? Is there research on that? Like, does a softball player run faster if she's, you know, straight or gay? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we can dispel the myths on our own, right? I don't know. I, I mean, I, again, I just think it's such a funny question. And I mean, I guess maybe it's just that like um, societal vision of a team of girls girls on mm -hmm. a bus together that you must be like in your underwear having pillow fights, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Is that what, you know, do you think that's what people are picturing or that? I guess. I don't know. Because I mean, we do spend a lot of time together. We are really close with each other, but it's been, it's never anything like that. Have you ever felt, been made to feel uncomfortable by another player on any team ever? Uh, no, not that I could remember. Do you feel like that there's any of that stereotype thing that's causing any disparities among the team? Like, does that ever cause issues among the team? Um, I don't think so. Like I said, like, we've, it's never been a problem. We all, everyone gets along. Our team is actually super close, and so. Like, no girl is ever like, stop being so butchy. <laughs> no. 
Okay. Um, And then, you know, we talked about the size thing. So are there like, you know, um, there was a reality show about the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and part of the requirements to be on the team was that you had to have your body composition measured and you had to be a certain body fat percentage or weight and they actually like measured their body fat on TV. So do y'all have any of those parameters to play softball? Like, are there any measurements that you have to meet or any parameters? I mean, is it even like how fast you run or how hard you hit or? I mean, I'm sure that definitely helps like how fast you can run and stuff. That would probably determine your playing time a little bit, but it you don't have to weigh this much in order to play. You, you know what I mean? Like it, it's never been a problem like that. Yeah. So it sounds like for both of you, it's like let our skills speak for themselves yeah. and yes. you know, everything, none of the other stuff really matters, you know, like, yeah. you know, it's about the sport and not about anything else. Yes. Yeah. But then how much of your personal self comes into your sport? Right, like, so how much does your personality influence how you compete and how you perform and why you play your sport and why you're competing at the collegiate level? I'd say for me, some people are that are really, really aggressive or energetic people in general, it, it'll show in their writing. It'll show in... Mm, that's a good point. It, it, it shows. And sometimes it works really great for them, and sometimes it does not. And you can tell when it does and when it doesn't. I'm a little more on the more reserved side. I'm not, you know, I don't pull some of the moves that these girls, some of these girls do, like, but part of it's just because of my horse also, you know, like I said, the horse is a very large part of it, so. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some of those girls hanging off the side of their horses, holding the barrel up with their hand. And sometimes that works for them. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but. Yeah. I don't, I can't even really, I've, I've really never even attempted that because horses just don't run like that so well and it's good that you know your style of riding and you know your horse that's important so again stay true to who you are yeah what about like do you think your personality influences the type of player that you are and the fact that you're playing softball as opposed to some other sport I um like she said personalities definitely do get shown so we cheer a lot in the dugout and that kind of brings out like the rowdiness in us but then um like if we get a really good hit there are some players who do something on the base and like I don't know like they just kind of flaunt what they like what they just did and but like for me if I get a good hit I'm not the type to be doing anything like but that is one thing Jordan has messed with me about when I get a good hit he wants me to flex on the base (laughs) (laughs) you know me I was nervous to even do this right now and so that's not not I'm more yeah sometimes I will do it just to give everyone a good (laughs) laugh but like I said like it just kind of depends on who you are and these little things like getting on the base or when you score or cheering in the dugout, like that's where you're able to show your personality. Yeah, that's really funny that you mentioned it because there's certain rodeo athletes that I can remember from professional rodeo that like there was a calf roper that he would pump his arms in the air when he made a good run and they called it raising the roof. And he was really well known for that. And there was a steer wrestler that would shake his butt when he made a good run, right? And those are really memorable. And for certain athletes, they can just get away with it, right? And it's not seen as being showboaty or offensive or annoying, right? But I think that there's other athletes that their personality style, it would come across so Mm -hmm. wrong and so differently, right? So I think that what you brought up is a really interesting point that your personality really does influence. So if you weren't doing the sport that you're doing now, what other, what would you be doing? You weren't barrel racing, what would you be doing, Laura? Uh, I'd probably still be in rodeo, so I'd probably be breakaway roping, (laughs) because I really, I like that too. You think that's where you fit? I I like that too a lot. And other than rodeo, uh, 
I don't know if there would be an athletic career for me because I'm not the most I would naturally athletic individual. You can join my Fit League Club. It's yeah. okay. Come on. <laughs> yeah, fit Come on over. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Cameron? I I'd like to think that I would still be in athletics. I don't like I said I really enjoyed playing volleyball, so I would might be doing that or what does life look like after softball? So this is your last season. Oh, she cringed. Uh, I don't want to think know. about it. I don't know. I do. There are some. I mean, just fitness paths. wise, like, what do you think you'll do to as your athletic outlet if you're not competing in softball? Um, I would like to stay pretty healthy, pretty fit. So working you want to come out, CrossFit with me? <laughs> I don't know if I could do CrossFit. Okay, that's my next out of the box thing that we're getting you to do. Oh gosh. Okay. Apparently, well, this semester is just get Cameron out of her comfort zone. Yeah. She rolls her eyes at me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I know we're going long on time and I want to wrap this up, but I have two more things that I want to talk about really quick. Sorry, Bobby. Um, I want to know if you knock down a barrel or you strike out, what does that feel like and how do you get geared up for the next run or the next at bat? So I try, when I strike out, I'm mad at myself. No, I, I mean, when I was younger, I would probably cry, but now I just get, I'm mad. And um, I feel like that sometimes influences my next at bat like I want to hit the ball so so bad that I'm swinging at everything and that I strike out again and then that influences my next mm-hmm. at bat I just struck out and then you're playing on the field times. too probably yes. right and so, so how do you channel that anger I there are some people in the dugout that um try to make me laugh and sometimes it doesn't work but sometimes it really does and I do need that outlet okay. that I, I need to talk to them or um They'll, some of them will go up to me and be like, you're, you're okay. Like, tell me, they'll tell me what I did wrong. Or, and so focusing on that next at bat, I just try to stay positive again and just kind of forget about what just happened. Yeah. So you're able, you're getting better at yes, that figuring is, out. Yeah. I okay. really am. Awesome. And I think I need to go back to your story a minute ago. So the story you were telling about your dad yelling and the girl got in no time. So I guess she broke the pattern. Um, did you make the time that you needed? I did. Okay. Yes. Congratulations. I didn't. I made it by one point. I realized I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't finish that story. And I need to know the ending. I would be really annoyed if I left here. Okay. So you hit a barrel, you come off your, what happened? What's going through your mind? You finish a run, you've knocked down a barrel. You've got a five second penalty. On to the next one. <laughs> Okay, I mean, so you don't dwell on it. You don't spend a lot of time. You're not. If it's something I feel there. like I need to work with my horse, I'll work on it in the practice pen. Uh, otherwise, if it's something I, if it's just a small mistake, I there's nothing I can do about it. It's not going to do me any good to sit there and be like, oh man, I'm just really worked up about that. It's not going to do me any good. So I just you forget are about it. so unique. I don't know very many athletes in any arena sport that could have that it's reaction. It's just not worth it to well me. It's just controlled. too much. Just too much going on. I'm like, I got, I got too much else to think about. So I'm just gonna not dwell on that. Oh wow, I, I'm like feeling anxious and mad for you. Th- just even thinking about hitting. A oh, barrel. I get mad. You know, obviously I get mad. Like, oh man, especially watching like other good runs. Like, oh, I could have, like, the, especially if you're like doing good and could have won some money. That's that's hard because it's like, man, I could have won some money. Could have got a check, but you can't. Do you watch the video back? Does it make you mad all over again? I mean, I go, man, that didn't look very good, Laura, but. Or if it's my fault, if it's something, it just a fluke deal that happened. That that's when you just say, well, that was just something that really nobody could 
really nobody could change. So. Another similarity I just thought about with your sports is your how important just minute movements of your hands are because what you're doing with the reins and where you're positioning your hands on the bat, like that's key and really instrumental to the outcome of your performance. So I just thought about that was another similarity that was really unique between those two sports. Okay, so I do want to kind of wrap this up because we are going along on time. So my final question I've been trying to ask everybody is um, one of the questions that we talk about all the time at my household and in with my friends and stuff is do you love to win or do you hate to lose more what drives you as a competitor in a collegiate sport is that the love of winning or the hate of losing what drives you to keep competing to come back for the next one to want to continue to compete for me i would say i hate to lose and it just like on the bus ride home after a loss that we should have won like it it irritates me. Just eats it to you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really think that would, I hate to lose more than I love to win. Okay. I mind a little bit different because I can't like, you know, obviously there's not a, there's not a one set winner or loser. I mean, everybody says, you know, if you didn't, if not first, you're last. But <laughs> okay. Talladega nights over there. Yeah. But you know, you have to find the little victories. So I try to do that if it's a, if there's something, well, I, I did better in this compared to my last run. Or if I didn't, I say, okay, I need to work on that. Clearly it's, you know, becoming an issue. And then I just channel that into my practice. And um, so I don't know if I could answer either one. I just say the, the chance that I can keep doing better and then maybe one day reach reach a win. Because right now I have not won in a collegiate level. I've been to okay. two rodeos and I've been stuck about middle of the pack. So... Yeah, you know. Well, and your field is huge, so yes. I don't want people to take that the wrong way. How many entries were there at the Soul Ross Radio? Do you know? About 160, I think. Yeah, so, so. it's one winner in 160 entries. I think I was around 50, 50th. So it was. Yeah. It it's, was. It's hard to see that many people in front of you and, and keep your your faith up, but. And I'm it's a tight there. pack, too. I mean, it in is. our region is the most competitive region. So. It is very competitive, yes. Yeah. So the thing that I want to point out before we wrap up is that y'all almost answered almost identically to your coaches. Like, what you yours was almost like CJ's and yours was almost like Chris Canada's. <laughs> it's really funny. It's nice. like so hilarious. So you're, you're, you're playing for the right coach, apparently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so keep it up. So thank you so much for joining me today on Under the Brim. There's no place like home. Any final thoughts? Any questions you want to ask each other? No, I don't have any. Oh, that was rude. You don't even I care mean, about each other. You don't even <laughs> like each other. You don't even want to get to know each other. Dang. I just say I could never. I could never do that. So, I, I couldn't. I mean, I could. I mean, I, I can run, but not. I couldn't hit a ball like that. So, yeah. yeah good job. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think I could talk to you a lot longer. I, um, you probably got the point that Caleb made about, like, I have this whole list of questions, yes. but I don't actually, <laughs> actually ask any of them. Uh, but y'all brought up some really interesting points. I think there was some great insights in there that I really didn't expect to come out of this conversation even better than what I thought it was going to be. So thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed it. Another episode of Under the Brim here at Sol Ross State University in Alpine, Texas, the LoboCast Network loving it. I'm so excited for all these episodes to come out. Keep tuning in. We have a lot more coming up. 